Welcome to T21 Mom. Hi friends, it's Mary, mom to Ainsley, who has Down syndrome and the dual diagnosis of autism. And welcome back to the T21 Mom podcast. And this is episode 118. Well, she's back. And that is Katie Renald, toileting expert. I believe this is her fifth episode that she's been on the show. And I put out on a Facebook group what questions people had and you guys answered. So I compiled all of the questions as best I could. I think I got pretty much all of the questions and she took a lot of time to answer all of those questions that you had. It's just over an hour this episode. So it is a little bit of a long one. And, you know, I, I really hope it helps you all out there because I know this is such a huge milestone for our kids and Katie is such a wealth of knowledge and expertise you know to really help our kiddos achieve this milestone. Now if you're wanting some more in-depth information on we kind of touched on some of the other topics that we've talked about on previous episodes such as the rapid toileting Uh, method which we talked about it was her first time on which was episode 17 and we also did an episode on toilet training older children and I can't remember right now what episode that number is but this is her fifth episode so there's lots and lots of info out there you just have to kind of go through and and find uh the ones that she's been on if you're wanting some more in-depth information but Let's, without much further ado, let's go and have a listen. Today on the T21 Mum podcast, I'm talking once again with toileting expert Katie Renald. Welcome back, Katie. Thank you, Mary. I'm so glad to be back again. It's fabulous. I think it's been a hot minute since you last been on. It's been, I think this is your fifth time on yes. the show. And I see that your episodes are always being listened to, and I believe that they are probably the most downloaded, which tells me there's a real need for your expertise. And because I know it's something that parents and caregivers in our community really need. So I am very appreciative, and I know the parents are also very appreciative of you always coming back on and, and sharing your knowledge and your expertise. Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And it's always fun to talk with you. And I think the way you help parents access information on T20 Mom is great. So I'm really happy to be a part of it five times over now. So yeah, it's wonderful. That's awesome. Thank you. So from what I've seen out there, and also just from what I hear from other parents, there appears to be very few actual toileting experts like yourself. I think a lot of OTs do it, but I don't feel they have the same expertise that you have and I feel it's such a truly in-demand skill but not a lot of skill not a lot of people have that skill and so how did you get into this because it's not really something I think that people would necessarily think about making as a career yeah it's it's not <laughs> and I do I it's really not I often I get lots of emails from parents saying you know is there someone who's the equivalent of you in Nebraska or South Australia or wherever <laughs> they live? And I don't, I don't usually have anyone I can turn them to because um, it is a really rare specialty. And I, I do think there are other people who are behavior analysts like me. That's my profession. So I treat the behavioral aspects of toileting with the kids that I work with. And I think there are other behavior analysts like me who are really interested in toileting instruction. But there's, there's a lot of logistics in making like a really niche career like this happen. I mean, how I got my practice to the point where it's sustainable and I have like good jobs with steady hours and benefits for the staff that work with me is like a whole other hour long Mm -hmm. business podcast. So I think like that's part of it is being able like have the to sort of have the privilege of being able to specialize was really hard to carve out. So anyway, it's a long story. But how I got into it was I was doing my undergraduate degree. And at that time, I needed to work, put myself through school. So I was working with young kids with autism a lot in early intervention. And I loved doing that work. And one skill that we often worked on that was sort of one tiny piece of a big intervention program was toilet training. So I learned 
through doing that work that in many cases kids can get really competent with toileting skills really quickly if they do sort of an immersive program and I worked with a few little guys who were super successful with toileting super fast and I loved it it was it just it felt like magic and I saw the impact on the parents and the family and on the child's confidence just being mm -hmm. able to acquire this huge skill and quickly and really master it so I just thought it was so cool and I thought <laughs> if there's any way for that to be my career I'd love it and I was lucky because I, I kept on working with kids with various developmental disabilities and I studied with Pat Miranda Dr. Pat Miranda at UBC when I was doing my master's and she is a known sort of toileting expert she was always really interested in it and given talks about it uh shared methodology with families and her students and everything she she has really has always believed everyone should have the access to toilet training skills and i was just lucky i met up with her was kismet i guess and um, she's been a really great advocate for me and my work um and helping me disseminate information because that was always her vision i think she was so happy finally a student came along who was like i love it too <laughs> we, uh, we worked together a lot um on disseminating information. And one thing that was always a really big mission of Pat's was getting information in the hands of parents mm -hmm. and how empowering them to do this on their own. So that's something that we've worked on together as well, because the barriers to accessing good information about toileting for your kids with disabilities, are, there, there are many. It's very, very hard to um, get the right information. So that's kind of, yeah, become my career and my work is getting information out there and helping people access what the research says is going to help mm -hmm. the kids. So yeah, it's a long story, but I'm <laughs> grateful to be where I am and um, able to reach many, many people now. That's been a really wonderful thing the last couple of years is, um, yeah, I can access people all over the world who need this kind of help. That is so fantastic. And I know that like there is a Down syndrome toileting, actually Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And I know that many of people on there have accessed you and, mm. and, you know, they share your praises <laughs> of oh, the work that you do. Yes. They oh, were great. all very happy. And, and I know many said, how can I get her to my house next yeah. week? <laughs> so, but we can talk a little bit about that at the end, how people sure. get, get in touch with you and, and so on. So, you know, we, you've been on for five episodes and we've mm -hmm. talked about all different types of things. So people have to go back and look at some of those other episodes. But I know the first one we talked about was the rapid toileting method, which mm -hmm. is what you used to train my daughter Ainsley in five days, mm -hmm. everybody, five days. Mm -hmm. And training older kids and lots of other great info. And as I just mentioned about the Facebook uh, Down syndrome toileting group, I put it out there. I asked people what they wanted to know. And let mm -hmm. me tell you, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think I had 90 responses. I think wow. I was four pages of questions that I wrote down. I wrote down every single question. A lot were very similar. So mm -hmm. I tried to sort of condense it down. And I, th I think I got most of it into the notes that I have here today. But the most common question hands down is how to get our kids to initiate. Now Ainsley will tell me she needs to go to the bathroom, but rarely will go on her own sometimes. However, yesterday she did twice. She said bathroom and then went and got all ready to go. It was fantastic. Like she's rarely ever done that, but uh, it's such a struggle. So what can people do? Yeah. It's, it is a question I get a lot too. And I think usually when people are asking about it, they're saying their kids won't say they need to go at all. And essentially that if they're not reminded to use the toilet, they'll, they'll just have an accident. So with Ainsley, I think sometimes she'll tell you, but she won't make the effort to go. And it's sort of a, yeah, it's kind of a different. So yeah, usually what I'm hearing from people is if I don't tell them to go, they're not going to go. They're going to just pee on the couch or wherever they are. So I'll I kind of approach it like that. So I, before I kind of answer this, I guess I want to say if your child is in pull-ups or diapers, the likelihood that they'll start initiating toilet use is really low. Um, there are always exceptions, but what I see in practice is that if kids are in pull-ups, they are going to pee in them. Like they, they're just going to pee in them. So mm -hmm. sometimes when people ask me, why isn't my child initiating, but the child is wearing pull-ups all the time, I would say, it's just so much easier to pee in your pull-up. They've been doing it their whole life. Even if they will pee on the toilet, when you initiate that process, the act of choosing the toilet over the pull-up is 
challenging. So yeah. I do think that you, if it's not really an initiation problem you have per se, if the child is still in pull-ups, but if they're in underwear and they're not initiating toilet use, okay, then we're really talking about an initiation issue. So this is a huge topic. Like the reason that kids may or may not be initiating toilet use varies so much like there can be so many things that go into it I mean what the environment is like what their communication skills are like if there's you know reinforcement available for going to the bathroom like there's so many things that factor in so for the sake of not being here for hours and going through every possible scenario I think I'll focus in on one scenario I see really often to answer this so the chain of events that leads to a child going to the bathroom to pee and I when I say child I mean teen, learner, mm -hmm. whoever, might be this. So step one, they feel like they might kind of have to pee. Step two, a parent says, it's time to go pee now, just because, you know, it's usually the time the parent would tell them or something like that. And then the learner, step three, gets up and goes, actually goes pee. Like maybe it's not that easy. I mean, but, but that's, that's something I see really commonly is essentially, you know, the parent is, the child is waiting for the parent to tell them to go. That's mm -hmm. the chain that always leads to them going. So very, very often there's sort of a prompt dependency going on there. So the child might actually be feeling kind of like they need to go because you as the parent, you know, okay, it's been two hours or they had juice or whatever. It's probably, they probably are feeling it a little bit, but they, their cue to actually go to the bathroom is always their parent telling them it's time to go. So mm. often what we need to do is fade out that prompt of the parent being the one to verbally tell them to go. So this might look like, you know, instead of telling your child to go pee, you could try to just sort of gently prompt them physically to go there. Okay. Um, okay. So you, you want the chain of events to be, you know, step one, your kid feels like they have to pee. Step two, they get up and go. You have to remove yourself from the equation, right? Mm -hmm. And often just the way, you know, human behavior works is often that verbal prompt from a parent is very, very, very sort of controlling over the situation. So it's the, the, the child's just not going to go until they hear those words because those are the words they've always heard. To them, that's the chain of events okay. that, that leads to going to the bathroom. So I've, yeah, it can, it can be really counterintuitive, but I often recommend trying first some a really subtle, like gestural prompt. So if your kid's on the couch watching TV or whatever, it's the time you'd normally tell them, can you go up behind them and sort of gently? touch their shoulders and aim them in the direction of the bathroom. And it can be really gradual over time. You might at first have to say bathroom time or like whisper time to go to the bathroom, something like that. And then over time you'd fade that into to nothing. Okay. Um, visuals could also play a role. You might put out a, a, a visual of the toilet when it's time to go or even give them like have, help them to access that screen on their AAC if they're using that. But you want to remove that verbal part if okay. that's something that's always happening in your home because that's often where kids are stuck. They're like, I'm not going until you tell me because that's the chain of events that they've yeah. been taught, right? Okay. So it's not, it's not their fault. It's really I guess an instructional problem, right? And and by no fault of the parent because they're just mm -hmm. doing what they know how to do and that's led to success in the past. So yeah, I guess often initiation, I would frame it as a need to fade your prompts is how you get okay. the initiation going. So I hope that helps if some some people I hope are listening going, ah, that's us. We need yeah. to fade out our prompts, right? Um, and again, it's not always that, but it often is, is the problem with initiation. Okay, I'm definitely going to try that because I think... I think a lot of that's what it is because mm. Ainsley can hold it for quite a long time. I mm -hmm. go, oh, we haven't gone mm -hmm. a long time. She better go. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's time to go, but yes, it can just sort of try to lead her. Okay. I will definitely try that. I think that's, that's awesome advice and that's easy. Like, yeah. I mean, with a little bit of practice, but you know, it's, I don't think it's going to be that difficult to, no, to, to it's not put like that a in bunch place. of equipment. Yeah, yeah. It's not this, it's just a little shift in the way you're approaching, like you, you're approaching the scenario and yeah, you don't even really, yeah, there's not that much teaching. It's just, okay, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to lead you to the bathroom. Like I'm a ghost behind you <laughs> like, and just push them in that direction. And that, yeah, it can really, really help some kids. It just, you've got to remove the, the dependency Prompt. on the, the okay. parents' words. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's great. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's excellent advice and I think easy to implement for the most part. Cool. And now then the next most common question was how people can get their child to poop in the toilet. They say their child will pee, but they won't poop. Now, 
And the second part of that would be, would your answer be the same for an older child, say 15, as opposed to younger, five, six, seven, eight, or nine? Yeah, this is definitely common. I, I get these kind of questions from lots of parents of kids or teens with Down syndrome, for sure. And it is, unfortunately, you know, another one of those things that's so case by case, like the reasons that they're not doing it, they're not pooping in the toilet could vary so much. I mean, in terms of would I recommend the same things for an older, like a teen versus a younger child? Mostly these, the instructional strategies would be similar, but often if, if the learners, you know, 15 or 16 or 17, there's probably been a lot of attempts already to get them to poop on the toilet. And often mm -hmm. when I work with teens, the toilet is a very negative place to them already they have a mm. really negative instructional history with it they don't want to be there you know it's they've, they've kind of failed there mm. a lot of times and also mm -hmm. you know they there's confusion different initiatives have been started and stopped and so sometimes when, when i'm working with teens um, or older kids or anybody who's got any fear or negative history on, around the toilet will sometimes start poop instruction with like a commode, like a bedside commode that, you know, a senior might use. They can be really helpful, basically a portable toilet or a potty meant for an adult sized person. Sometimes that's a way to neutralize the whole scenario is you don't have to use the toilet, but here's this other thing, no history with it. We can kind of have a fresh start. So that can be a really helpful idea. I think if you have a learner who's just scared and really reluctant to be in the, in, on the toilet, I think, you know, years ago, I might've said, no, it's critical to use the toilet because how are they going to generalize out of the house? But I've seen too many scenarios now where there's just so much fear around the toilet mm -hmm. that if we push the issue of using the toilet, it could be traumatic for the mm -hmm. learner or it could be, it could take forever. Like we could have to slowly desensitize them. And, and there's often a, a need to get going on something right. like this. Like it, if you're having poop accidents when you're a teen, it can limit you from accessing programs it can be socially stigmatizing so often it's like no i don't want to spend three years desensitizing and nor does the learner and nor does the family so something like a commode can be a really great stepping stone to the toilet and that's where it. would oh sorry and, go ahead mary sorry and because i remember something that you said years ago but where would you place the commode like do you still place it in the bathroom or do you have it set in one area that's a great question. It depends. It would be great to put it in the bathroom because at least then you're closer to the toilet for later. Because often what we'll end up doing is getting a commode where the part the poop goes into is actually like a small bucket that's removable. So we would eventually put that bucket in the toilet. So if you're close to the toilet using the commode, the steps to getting to the toilet are shorter. So that would be ideal. But if it's a learner who's scared of the bathroom in general or you know, there's also sometimes we work with learners who love to having a shower. And every time they go in the bathroom, they really want to get in the shower. <laughs> and asking them to sit on the toilet is like a big mm. annoyance. And, and mm -hmm. it's, it just, it's a whole process. So in that case, I might say, you know, let's use a different room. Or there's also situations too, where sometimes a learner has a place in their home, they're really comfortable pooping. Like it might be like behind the couch or in their closet. So often it's somewhere kind of private. Mm -hmm. In a situation like that, I might say, put the commode there. That's one of the great things about using it is if their usual place to poop is behind the couch, now the commode is there. So it can be closer to meeting them halfway, right? right. And then it okay. can still gradually, it can still become, it can still be transformed over time to be done mm -hmm. in the toilet, but you might have a few more steps that way. Okay. But I think the, the faster you can get to poop getting in the commode, the better, right? As opposed to really forcing the toilet issue, I just yeah, it can lead to negative interactions and stuff too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, and, and I was going to say too, just, just in terms of this being something that's so case by case, we do have a online course called Poop Teaching 101 that okay. I, I developed during like the height of the pandemic because I swear the pandemic exacerbated poop issues in so many kids. <laughs> I think, uh, I think a lot of it is like, the anxiety associated mm -hmm. with the pandemic and change of routine, you know, number of sort of emails and calls I get about this sort of issue has just skyrocketed since then. So I think, I, yeah, I, 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 anyway, I ended up developing a course that covers lots of the behavioral aspects of teaching toileting. 
teaching poop toileting specifically, I should say. And one of the things I should definitely mention though, beyond that course that addresses the behavioral stuff is I would talk to your occupational therapist if you have one working with your child about the 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 idea of them pooping in the toilet and how that's a barrier because there's often some body positioning stuff that an OT mm -hmm. can really help you address like and and they know your child and have assessed them personally often so they might be able to say oh you know what I know a perfect like sort of platform step stool that I think is really going to help because sometimes kids feel rickety and insecure mm -hmm. on the toilet right if they're on a shifty little toilet seat and an OT can really help you sort that out, right? And and put mm -hmm. the right sort of setup there physically so that your child's gonna be more comfortable. So yeah, poop issues are hard. I've got the course. We can we also can do virtual constipation, which I'll talk about a bit later, because this can just be one of those things that is so hard for various reasons. So mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. I know because that yeah, that was definitely one of the top uh one of the top mm -hmm. questions. Yeah. So one of the other interesting questions that came up was, and I hope I can say this correctly, was how do we help our kids understand interception and proprioception, learning what mm -hmm. it feels like, like the urge to go. One mom said her son was fine being wet. And how do we make mm -hmm. the connection? I think it took Ainsley a bit to really get this. And for quite a while, you know, I just took her on a regular schedule. But, you know, one mom said her six-year-old won't go on the toilet or a little potty. She can't seem to make the connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, these, I think there's a few questions in there or a few <laughs> different. Yeah, that, it's complicated. So, I mean, first of all, I think it's definitely a misconception that kids need to be uncomfortable in a wet or dirty pull-up before they start with learning toileting skills and the vast majority of the learners i've worked with aren't uncomfortable at all before they start teaching toilet learning toileting skills and they're totally able to be successful so it's just, it's one of those things that's out there and i think as a parent it's hard, right? Because if you Google it, how do I know if my child's ready or they're not uncomfortable in dirty diapers? What should I do? And people will say, just wait, wait till they are, wait till it's kind of their idea to start toileting and it'll be easier, which can definitely be true. But I just, I guess I want to say, you know, every time I'm on for, for the fifth time, I want to say they don't have to be uncomfortable in wet or dirty diapers before they start. Definitely. In terms of like the, the introception part, one thing i mean with with kids who have down syndrome there can definitely be a layer of sort of complication here because of hypotonia and how that can affect the toilet learning process mm -hmm. i mean like when kids have a low muscle tone it's often the case that the sensation of a full bladder isn't the same so from physiotherapists i've worked with my understanding of kind of how that can look is for some people, or, I mean, for most people, like for you or I, if our bladder is something like, you know, 25 or maybe 30% full, you'd feel like you really have to go pee. Like for us, when we're like, I'm, I'm bursting, I have to pee. It's only like, you know, a third full or something like that. Yeah. That's how the bladder is supposed to function. But if you have low muscle tone, then your bladder might have to be like 80% full before you feel anything, right? So if you have a, you know, 70 or 80% full bladder and you're not feeling anything and you go to, you know, squat down or stand up really quick or whatever, you might leak out some pee. So that's what happens with tons of kids with Down syndrome is the, mm. the proprioception that uh, someone who has sort of typical muscle tone would feel it's just not going to be the same and so that's a big barrier right so i think it, it, and on one level we have to give our kids with down syndrome a bit of a break right and and know you know this can be physically super challenging for, for mm -hmm. some kids and if your child has really persistent leaks or it just seems like the interception piece isn't coming together i think seeing a physiotherapist who has pediatric pelvic health training is a really good move mm -hmm. if you're kind of like look they'll be in the toilet when i take them there but they're they're leaking every time we go on the playground they're having a big pee leak and they were just on the toilet like that's the kind of thing i would talk to a physio about because there could be a physiological barrier there that's making it hard to master yeah because that's yeah a really a really challenging piece and i think it can lead to a lot of frustration as a parent where you're like how are you being on the floor right now like you just peed on the toilet a minute ago <laughs> and there can be so many oh, yeah. things that factor in to that that aren't at all the child's fault and it's it's really frustrating so a physio can be a godsend in a 
situation like that. And yeah, in BC here, I know you have very international listeners, but we have like kids physio is great. Mm -hmm. um, physio works. There's a couple that will do like online assessments and parent coaching even. So mm -hmm. they, they're good at reaching more rural areas. So I, if you just, if you're wherever you live, if you contact the local sort of physiotherapist college or licensing board, they would know who has the special pediatric pelvic health training because it's a niche in physio for sure. And then you said too that one mom was saying, I think you said her six-year-old just won't won't pee at all or poop on the toilet, like right. or potty, just not yeah. making the connection. Right? Yeah, I think that, that's common. I mean, it can be often if they if you can't just get those first few successes going, like they just sit there and then they get up and pee on the floor in their diaper or whatever. Often it's a matter of waiting longer. Mm -hmm. I think it's really common to hear kids should only be on the toilet for like three minutes or maybe five minutes. But the first few times, especially for learners with Down syndrome, I find it can just take a lot of time on the toilet, like with some stretch breaks and getting up and down, but mostly just being like, we're going to wait here until you're able to pee and make it fun. They're not just staring yeah. at a wall. You know, they're watching a video, they're playing, they're reading books, they're even eating snacks or playing music. So you're just sitting there until the pee or poop actually happens. That can be what you need to make the connection happen. There also can be cases where gradually fading out the diaper might help. Like some kids with Down syndrome will definitely very firmly associate the feeling of the diaper on their body with that being when they pee or poop. And so sitting on the toilet, they could sit for hours and just be like, what, what am I doing here? Right. Or I'm not going to go. So often it can help then to have the learner sit on the potty or toilet with their diaper on, and then they just pee in their diaper like they normally would, but they're sitting on the potty or toilet and the, you know, parent would celebrate like they peed in the potty. And then over time, you can gradually fade the diaper away by cutting it. Mm -hmm. Something I think we've discussed before. Yeah. That can be something that really helps kids who are just so stuck on the diaper, which is very, very common for kids mm -hmm. with Down syndrome for sure. Yeah, I think it took Ainsley a little while to really kind of to get that. And I know mm -hmm. you did the rapid toiling method, which we discussed at quite a length in I think it's episode 17, the first time you were on, you mm. know, because just like inundating with water and, and spending a lot of time initially on the toilets, you know, mm -hmm. but that is essentially what worked for her. Mm -hmm. And one little tip, you know, I can give the listeners mm -hmm. <laughs> I is I always have put like a little liner, a little panty liner mm -hmm. in Ainsley's mm -hmm. underwear so that, you know, if there ever was like a little just a little leak, it will catch it. You don't have to like change mm -hmm. clothes and it's, you know, it's a lot easier at school and, and so on, you know, so that's what I found really, really helped, especially in the beginning. And we've just continued with that. So, and it works well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that can be great for just catching those little, even positional leaks, like standing up or sitting down really yeah. common for kids with Down syndrome. Yeah. So we're climbing on the playground, you see a lot of that. So yeah, I think that's a great way to make it less, it's easier to change, right? Just switching right. out the liner. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really smart and a good thing to share for sure. Thank you. <laughs> and then one mom wrote, her 11 year old will cry from pain of holding it in, but I can't figure out how to get him to relax and go in the toilet. Mm -hmm. And another mom said her son will hold it for hours if not wearing a pull up and will also sit on the potty now, I'm not sure if they were meaning toilet when they were saying potty or an actual potty for hours. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of what we were sort of just talking about? Yeah, or? I think it's the same sort of, yeah, it can just be so hard. And it's it's so tough when they're so uncomfortable, right? Like that's that's a really tricky scenario when like she's saying her, yeah, her 11 year old just will cry from the pain yeah. of holding in. But it really sounds like that could, be it could be that he's stuck on the diaper stuck on the pull-up so i would really suggest having him pee on the toilet with the diaper pull-up on and then fade it away gradually i think that's that's definitely that sort of scenario because you don't want any situation where they're associating pain with mm -hmm. being on the toilet that can make it harder later it can build up that sort of negative association with the toilet that you don't want so yeah, I would, I think I would definitely try the diaper on, on the toilet as a next step for that kind okay. of situation. All right. And then, and perhaps your answer is the same for this as well. But one mom said her issue was the opposite, that her son mm -hmm. will poop in the toilet, 
but not P. So would it be kind of the same thing you would yeah, suggest? I think so. Wait, waiting longer. Um, yeah, giving more time on the toilet with fun things to do. And also perhaps using a pull-up or diaper on the toilet first to help him to pee in that. Yeah, that can be a really, really helpful strategy to make that step. Okay. Okay. Good. Very good advice. I don't think most people would think of doing that. Because you yeah, don't, that's the whole the point is being on the toilet yeah. without the pull-up, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, totally. Yeah. And another very common question I got was nighttime training. And mm -hmm. I will assume that their child is day trained as like Ainsley was. And I, I think for a lot of parents, I know for me, it was kind of the final hurdle to accomplish, like fully accomplish this milestone. And And is it different for boys versus girls? Like for me, it wasn't, I wasn't that worried about it because I always mm -hmm. remember you saying sometimes her bladder just needs to catch up and yeah. Ainsley just essentially she trained herself she just stayed dry mm -hmm. for a long time and then I I remember messaging you I said do I just go <laughs> commando <laughs> and you said yeah <laughs> put some waterproof whatever under the yeah. sheets and mm -hmm. yeah and, and mm -hmm. she did awesome so uh so yeah I guess that's like people that's something people struggle with yeah no that's the best case scenario is what you did with Ainsley is like just wait until nature takes over and her body's ready because it is one of those things it's physical most of the time and as kids grow their bladder size increases but also their body is producing more of a there's a hormone that slows the production of urine at night so anti-diuretic oh, okay. hormone so that it doesn't it kicks in at different times like it reaches the level that would be needed at different times for different bodies right so it can vary when kids are producing enough of that hormone and will stop peeing in their sleep on their own so often the answer is just to wait and pediatricians will usually say there, there's no concern until after age eight or so so if you brought it up to your doctor they'd likely say eh, don't worry about it for now keep using pull-ups overnight or whatever or good nights that said i mean i i would still tell them still tell your child's doctor if they're continuing to pee in their sleep at no matter what age they are i think it's good to know because it can sometimes be a cause for concern it might be something your doctor wants to know because i i mean especially if they they weren't peeing in their sleep and then they suddenly started that mm. can be a sign of some underlying health conditions it's just something good to monitor but usually the answer is just relax wait for it to happen on its own. If your child is a little bit older and you kind of have clearance from their medical provider you you and you want to tackle it, you could try using a bedwetting alarm, like the mm -hmm. Chummy brand alarm that will, it's like a wetness sensor that's either a big mat that goes on the bed or a little wearable alarm that you would um, tape into their underwear when they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. And it beeps really, really, really loudly when the child starts to pee in their sleep. And the idea is it would wake them up and they stop peeing, go to the bathroom and pee and go back to bed. And usually within a few weeks, they'll start waking up on their own at the time that they would need to pee. So, I mean, it leads to massive sleep disruptions for your whole labs for a few weeks because they're yeah. going to be like, what, beep, 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 waking up to this crazy loud alarm. So, I mean, pick your battles, I guess, but if it becomes an important issue there, that's the way like the research says to deal with it basically is using an alarm. But yeah, it's again, one of those things I'd bring up with a medical provider. I don't see any difference. I think you mentioned, is it different for boys or girls? I don't, don't really see any difference for how you'd approach it or okay. what age is appropriate or whatever. Yeah. It's all kind of the same. Yeah. And I didn't use the chummy for nighttime. Like, as I said, Ainsley kind of just trained mm -hmm. herself, but I did use that in the beginning after you trained her. It's highly sensitive. I, I noticed mm -hmm. like it would be one drop and it would go off, but you can also mm -hmm. set it to a vibe. So it was less intrusive. Like her mm -hmm. EA knew what it was, but the kids were like, didn't have yeah. any idea what it was. So it was right. less intrusive. And we use that at school. And just if parents do decide to get the chummy, get always order extra strips because I remember we yeah. ran out of strips. I think we were using duct tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have really good strips of tape that are super sticky and very removable though. So yeah, yeah. they are awesome. That's a really good tip. Yeah. <laughs> I would suggest that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then one, I mean this, I think you kind of answered it, but like one mom had also said about the nighttime training that she was told it, Neuro, neurologically develops over time, but she'd been hearing otherwise, but she didn't really elaborate. But I'm just thinking that's probably her doctor saying like once, like Ainsley mm -hmm. just, her bladder just eventually caught up with her and she was able to yeah. do it. Mm -hmm. 
Like, yeah, I, I think it's, yeah, it's the, I, I, usually there's a physiological reason it's happening. So yeah, I mean, not always, there's the odd kid where, you know, one in a thousand of them or something that I work with are like peeing in their bed on purpose when they wake up because they know their mom will come in and like mm. cuddle them and change their sheets. Like sometimes there's a sort of behavioral component, but usually it's like they're full on asleep. Like there's no behavior involved. Like they're just their body releases pee at night. So usually, yeah, it's, it's a physical thing for sure. in, in my okay. experience. Okay. Now <clears throat> a few uh, parents asked about like, if you have a boy, is there a mm -hmm. trick or advice on how to teach them to stand up and pee as opposed to sitting? Yeah, this, this isn't something I've worked on a lot. I've heard from physiotherapists that boys and men should actually sit down to pee whenever they can because the position allows their bladder to empty more fully. Like it's just better physiologically to do. And it's also, I work with so many learners where I think they're, the distinguishing between the need to pee and poop is a bit challenging. So mm. if you sit, you catch everything. Right. <laughs> so I, I very, very, there's very few times I've worked on standing to pee. It's only with a couple families who are, you know, really outdoorsy and out a lot and they need to teach their child to pee against the tree or whatever. So the only advice I really have is giving them something to aim for. Mm -hmm. So there's like little stickers you can get that go in your toilet, right on the <laughs> toilet bowl. That can be a really good. And then you, you could have the same stickers that you can bring with you if you do need them to like pee on a tree or something. So okay. because I think the, the other dangerous thing of introducing the idea of peeing standing up or peeing outdoors is that you have to then teach when it's okay to do that and when okay. it's not, which is actually pretty complicated. It's like, okay, there's no people around we've walked a little bit off the trail. Now we can go. So I think it's, it's not something that is necessary to teach unless your lifestyle necessitates it. And in that case, I would definitely suggest using some sort of objects that are associated with the act of peeing. So like the sticker that we use at home, I have it here, another one, not the one from the toilet, I have an extra one here with me, and I'm going to stick it on the tree. And that's what you pee on. So okay. it's kind of like, when the sticker's present, it's okay to pee standing up. I think okay. when you're first introducing a concept like this, that can be a really helpful thing. So they're, they're not peeing everywhere. <laughs> and right. also the aim helps. Yeah. But there's, this also could be, if it's something that's really important for your family or for some reason, a physio or an OT might be able to help too with the, the physical aspects of it. If it's challenging to aim or whatever, but yeah, not, it's not something it's one toileting question. I don't have too much experience with at all. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think for some families, I think it was just because they see the child sees the dad doing it. And I think right. that's why they wanted to teach. But yeah, you know, I think, yeah, like you said, if you're sitting, you capture it all. And then it's yeah. kind of only having to teach it once. Exactly. Not yeah, having to teach exactly. twice. So, yeah. yeah. So now when I was asking for questions, you know, most people use the word potty. So I am not 100% sure, you know, if they are using, as I mentioned before, if they're using like a small potty or actually the toilet. Mm -hmm. And I already know the answer to this question, but a few parents asked how to transition their child from the potty to the toilet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we touched on that a bit when we were talking about the commode, but my, mm -hmm. I, I, it's one, one of those things where if the child will use the toilet relatively comfortably, it's great to start with that. Mm -hmm. But if they're more comfortable on the potty, I do think that's okay to start there. I just haven't had that many scenarios over the years where kids really struggle with transferring from the potty to the toilet. I think, yeah, I, I used to say, if people listen to my first appearance on your podcast, they might say, no, you really should use the toilet. But yeah. I've, I've really relaxed on that over the okay. years because I've, I've just had so few kids really, really struggle with making the transition. And also a lot of, a lot of the time when I'm working with young kids who have Down syndrome, there can be challenges with gross motor, like getting up onto the toilet and feeling secure on it can be mm -hmm like add, you know, 10 steps to the that act of using the toilet. Whereas if we use a little floor potty, their independence is increased. They can get on it on their own. They feel more comfortable. It's not shifting around on them, right? So I'm more inclined now to say, you know what, if they're more comfortable on a potty, that's totally fine. And in that case, I would say it's great to use a potty that has some element that can be transferred to the toilet later when you do want to take that step. So 
there's a lot of potties that have a removable sort of top seat that can later go from the, the potty to the toilet. So it's the same little seat. Oh, okay. So I think visually for the child, it's like, ah, oh, it's that thing I've, and it feels like the thing they've sat on and it's going on the toilet. Or another way to go is Ikea has one that has a little bucket insert and you could actually just float that little insert right in your toilet later so they can see it's the same thing. That can mm. be really helpful for generalization too. So yeah, I would look for a potty that is going to facilitate that transfer later. But if you're doing the bulk of your sort of potty training in earnest on a potty, I think it's fine. It's I, I've had so few kids who get stuck that I, I really do think it's it's okay for the most part. I've, I've changed my, changed my tune on that one. Okay. And, and I'm curious if this is still the same is, but you shouldn't be placing the potty like in the living room or the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Like it should always be in the bathroom because that's where you go to the bathroom, not in the yeah. living room. Is that still true? I think that's a good, for, for like the vast majority of the time. Yeah. I think associating it with the bathroom is a, is a great step to take and there can be reasons to not do that again like if you have a kid who's just like I'm desperate to get in the, the bath as soon as I'm in the bathroom that might be something where you don't want to start with it because it's going to be just so distracting and they're going to mm -hmm. kind of be like fighting to get in the bath the whole time we do see that sometimes but usually yeah it's best to leave it all in the bathroom and then you have a little bit more control over the whole process and kind of like okay it's clear we're working on potty training right now we're in here for this like for most kids yeah it's best to place it in the bathroom if you can okay great okay that's good now the next question was and i encountered this a bit with ainsley and sometimes mm -hmm. i kind of still do but w one parent asked how to get their child to actually empty their bladder she said they would often stop midstream and sometimes with ainsley i can tell she hasn't emptied it so, you know, but she's older now. And if she says she's done, I have to trust her and believe her. And, yeah, you know, and, and we haven't had any accidents, but, you mm -hmm. know, I'm thinking for these new learners, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, it depends. It's sometimes if your child would have the sort of receptive language skill to understand it, one thing that can really help is counting. So sort of saying, okay, we're going to try to do a 10 P, you know, mommy's okay. going to count to 10. So, and then this, and maybe, you know, a 10 second P gets a special prize or something like that. So you go, this is the bag for the big P's that are 10 P's or more or something like however you'd frame it. So your child might kind of understand. And then as soon as they start to pee, you'd really quietly count like one, like quickly, not actually yeah. 10 seconds, but, and then you get really excited if when they stop, it's after 10, that can really, really help, like, kind of like get them to get the point of what you, what you want, but it doesn't work for everybody. I mean, there's a, a lot of language skill involved in that. Another thing that can really help is a stand sit procedure. So this can also be, a, it can be a hypotonia thing too, where the feeling of fully emptying their bladder is challenging to, to feel. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it can really help to, after they've done a small pee, you would say, okay, let's stand up and do a little dance and walk around the bathroom for like 20 seconds. And then let's see if you have some more pee. And a lot of kids, when they sit back down, will be able to pee some more. And then, you know, okay. you're closer to an empty bladder. So that can be useful for it, even if there's the languages would be really challenging of doing something like the counting, standing, and then sitting again to try to pee more can be many, many learners can, can do that and can benefit from it. It can be frustrating. Like, what do you mean? I just went pee, but making it kind of fun and doing a little dance or wiggly arms or jumping up and down and then sit back down can help. But that something about that movement can really make it, make it happen. Okay, great. That's good. Now, I'm not sure what you would suggest for this as I, as I never had this issue with Ainsley, but a few people mentioned, how do you get your child used to going in a different bathroom, such as at school or a mm. restaurant or when you're out and also having a different person taking them? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I guess, this is a, EA yeah, or an EA, yeah. yeah, any a relative or yeah, somebody's yeah. caring for them, right? This is another thing that's come up. I feel like a pandemic toileting issue for sure, because it's like, I think we all spent more time at home and a lot of mm -hmm. kids just didn't have to use other bathrooms as much for a while. And I, it's just been really hard for lots of kids I work with. So I'd suggest 
starting with, you know, the least intimidating bathrooms out of your house that you can find. So usually like a relative or friend's house, if there's someone else's home, you can go to to practice peeing for the day. <laughs> I think that could be really great because you don't want to go from like our nice bathroom at home to like, you know, the stadium bathroom at the Taylor Swift concert or something, which right. would be very loud and crazy. So I think like in between it, yeah, if you kind of think of a hierarchy of what's going to be the the easiest to the hardest bathroom and kind of work down that hierarchy as much as you can. So like, it, it'll interrupt your life for a while, right? I really mm -hmm. would suggest doing like, okay, we're going to do a, a pee practice day today and we're going to go to the mall. And so going when it's not peak hours and you can use that one like family bathroom that's just one big bathroom for, that you and your kid can be in and not multiple stalls first, like that sort of thing. And from there, so beyond just picking the least challenging bathrooms of the home to start with first, I'd suggest anything you can do to make some sameness between your home bathroom and the new one would really help. So if you have visuals that you use at home or a surprise bag or like a soft, swishy seat that goes on the toilet, I would bring the, those exact mm -hmm. same things with you. Okay. So in some cases where kids have a lot of anxiety around releasing and relaxing and peeing in other bathrooms, I've even done stuff with families where we like play a song like you get your phone and play Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, the same version every time they pee at home. So hearing that song is sort of associated with, ah, I'm calm, I'm peeing. And then the same song can be played on your phone at the mall bathroom. That can really help some kids. Mm, it's like, okay. oh, my relax, my, my relaxation cue. It's a little dangerous because like, <laughs> what if they hear that version? you know, when they're walking around. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. When you don't want them to be, but it's not usually doesn't work that way. They have to be in the bathroom and everything. But yeah, and I, I think also being prepared to really take some time in the new bathrooms, because even if that your child is at the point where they will pee in two seconds at home, whenever you remind them, it could take them a long time to relax and feel comfortable enough to pee in these other new bathrooms. So giving them lots of time, being really reassuring and making things as same as you can from home and out of the house, I think could really help. And in terms of different people taking them, I think it can also often really be an instance of as much as you can trying to fade you, the parent or other person the child's comfortable with out and fade that new person in. So going into the bathroom together with the new person and having them just maybe after your child's done peeing, they peek their head in and go, good job, you went pee, that's so cool. And that see that the parent is okay with that person, see that that person knows the routine. And then over time, try to fade them in and you out. If, if it's like a school personnel or, or something mm -hmm. like that, usually they're very good with making this happen. I mean, it makes, everyone wants the kids to be successful with, with toileting, I find, right? There's mm -hmm. so, so few instances I have lately where any school staff would refuse something like that like a parent coming in for that reason is I mean schools want to make it happen too mm -hmm. so I would suggest the fading the parent out fading the other person in gradually okay. and going at the child's pace right but I mean same thing where it, it's it's often you know if the child's really uncomfortable with another person being there it might be smart to examine if the other person really does need to be there. Cause like you were saying, I think this was before we started recording, but we were just ca chatting and catching up and you were saying Ainsley now goes into the bathroom totally on her own at school, mm -hmm. which is really cool and yeah. a kind of big leap for her. So in her case, it's really not necessary at this point for an EA or any, any adult to be in the bathroom with her, unless there was sort of like an emergency or she needed help with something different. So I think that's really important to consider is sort of testing for that once in a while. Wait a minute, is my kid at the point where they actually could go in totally on their own and deal with this? Because it's a it's a safety and privacy thing that we want to encourage in our kids, right? Is, mm -hmm. hey, if an adult doesn't need to be in the bathroom with me and I don't want it, I can say no, right? I can, I can say I'm okay on my own. So that's a bit of a layered one. Littler kids are going to need help. Kids yeah. who are new to these skills are going to need help, but it's something to think about over time is at what point do they not need help? And can you advocate for your child being able to be alone in the bathroom, which is mm -hmm. kind of cool and a big independent step that we want them to take. So something to consider. All right. Okay. We're almost through. <laughs> yeah, we're doing good. We're doing good. I appreciate your time, Katie, but <laughs> you're, I, this is such a in-demand topic. 
yeah and i'm I do, i'm a bit of a rambler as well so it's all know, good concise on my next few here no it's all good i think people appreciate you know your examples and things like that i know i do so it just you know helps them to think okay yes we can do this you know and how can we make it yeah. work now i remember in our first episode you're a very firm believer that all people with special needs can be toilet trained barring mm-hmm. that there is no underlying medical issues mm-hmm. and a lot of our kids have constipation thankfully ainsley does not but one mm-hmm. mom said her son has constipation and sometimes he will like poop 20 times a day and he loses his mind when she suggests him sitting on the toilet and mm-hmm. another mom said her son has celiacs and has loose stools and it's difficult to tell if he's pooping or not and she says mm-hmm. she's at a total loss and i guess this is all compounded and what if your child isn't walking or perhaps can't sit without support like they have cerebral mm-hmm. palsy for example yeah i mean yeah these are definitely complicating factors for sure i i would say if your child isn't walking or not sitting without support it's usually not a barrier to learning toileting skills. It's just that it looks different. More support is needed throughout. Okay. So in that case, I would definitely engage an occupational therapist for help with the toilet setup. Like they probably are going to need some really, you know, supportive bars around the toilet and a seat that's absolutely not going to move on them and some steps for getting up in an assisted way that are going to make it feel really stable. So I would definitely talk to an OT about okay. that. And then, yeah, constipation or celiac disease or those sort of things that can make bowel movements really complicated are so hard. And I mean, the main thing is we we really don't want any scenarios where pain is associated with being on the toilet if we can avoid them. Mm-hmm. So like any pain in stool coming out while, while you're seated on the toilet, that can lead to just you know, backtracking on, 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 like going backwards on toileting skills, because the child's probably going to start dreading and avoiding the toilet. So mm-hmm. I would suggest, I mean, this is probably borderline annoying for these parents to hear, because I'm sure they've tried everything, but doing anything you can with those medical variables before trying to get poop on the toilet is ideal. So making sure that you're doing everything you can with your child's medical provider to ensure that they aren't having pain as bowel movements are coming out of their body would be best to address like just every, every tree you can bark up to get that help. I would, I would go for it before trying to get them to use the toilet because you want them to be passing stool relatively easy in their pull-up or diaper or whatever, before you try to approach having them do it on the toilet. And then it's just, it does bring to mind too, beyond that, this mom saying her son loses his mind when she suggests him sitting on the toilet. Occasionally, there's a dynamic of parent and child that makes this kind of thing really, really hard. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily what's happening here, but I just don't want to um, not mention it at all. <laughs> because I think it's so often that like for with, with our team who works in people's homes, when we work with kids who have really, really struggled with pooping on the toilet, but they're great with peeing on the toilet, it's often when we go and we can see, ah, there's a dynamic here with the, like the parent and the child where the parent asks them to do it and the child goes, no, 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 no. And the parent's like, okay, well, I have to make dinner now. So I guess you can go on your pull up. Like, I'm so frustrated. Like, I totally understand <laughs> these things as a parent too, where you're just like, okay, well, all right, this is not the hill I'm going to die on today. So that's fine. So sometimes it's just like, one of those things that it might be good to outsource some support with, like I've, I've coached lots of families who don't, who aren't local to us too, with doing things like, can your, can your kid's fun aunt come over and do this pooping routine with them every night for like a couple weeks or something like that? Like, is there anyone you can reach out to who's not you telling your child to do this? Cause some kids, right. You know, if this is your kid or your scenario, some kids just are not going to listen to their parents. Like they would literally any other person on earth. And it's so frustrating as a parent, mm-hmm. but it's true. So sometimes it can be, can I get someone to help me? It really, it doesn't even necessarily have to be like an expert, like me or my team. Sometimes Sometimes I'll have parents take our, our online poop course. And then I say, you know, I actually think you're, the fun aunt needs to take it too. And then they, they can just come in and implement it. And it's not this expertise in terms of techniques. It's really just about 
that other person being the one to introduce it and say it. So again, I think it's not necessarily what's going on here. I just want to make sure to mention it. Sometimes if it's just like my child will not do this, if another mm -hmm. person presented it to them in a certain way, it might, they might be more willing to do it. You're just stuck in a rut that, that you can't get out of. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's a, I think it's that added layer of it being challenging when there's an additional diagnosis. And I, I hear it yeah. all the time from like lots of other moms and in the Down syndrome community because constipation is so huge, you mm -hmm. know, so, and it's a, it's a real struggle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, finally people often asked, how do I get started? Or how do I know if my child is ready? Mm -hmm. Yes. Most common questions I get mm -hmm. too. Um, so in terms of how do I get started for the vast majority of kids with Down syndrome, I would really suggest doing a more immersive launch to toileting instruction. Okay. I think that what you might hear from a lot of people or might be kind of intuitive is like, I'll just start gradually sort of exposing them to the toilet. So I'll do a, you know, every night before bath, sit on the toilet for a minute and then go in the bath and then go down to the routine. There's not that's like there's nothing wrong with that per se especially if your child is really reluctant to be on the toilet at all a quick little sit is a good thing to do but as soon as you're seeing you know what they're okay sitting now there's no apprehension it's pretty easy i would suggest really going kind of whole hog into teaching toileting because for kids with down syndrome when you're starting you really want to make pee or poop get in the toilet as mm -hmm. soon as you can to help them make the right connection yeah. otherwise like the, the scenario i see so 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 often is families of kids with down syndrome will say okay we've been doing this toileting routine for two years and he's never actually peed in the toilet so that can happen when there's just usually the, the biggest factor is not sitting long enough to really make pee or poop happen and i touched on this a bit earlier that often kids need to sit for quite a while to, to get that first pee or poop success and with again stretch breaks and fun stuff to do and that sort of thing but that's not forever it's really just to get those first few successes and then usually they start making the connection and mm -hmm. they're not needing to be on the toilet long but carving out a really good amount of time for those first couple days to get some success is really really what starts kids on a good path in my opinion mm -hmm. so yeah i think there's and and I mean, a roadmap to follow, I can send you links to those. There's some free videos and we also have online courses that okay. really give you a, a path to, to follow and some strategies that our, you know, research has shown are effective because I just, I don't think you, it, it can be so instructionally confusing for kids with Down syndrome when they, they've just been sitting on the toilet for a minute. For, for years and everyone's really happy with them. And all of a sudden they're, they're expected to pee or poop. It's like harder than if you just yeah. started with trying to get there in the first place. So anyway, not everybody, but most kids, I think that immersive couple days of really focusing on it is huge. And then the other thing you asked about readiness, how do I know if my child's ready? And it is so complicated. I get asked this all the time. Um, <laughs> and I touched on this a bit earlier, but it's, it's really common for people to hear they need to wait to see certain prerequisites. So like the biggie is that their child should be uncomfortable in a soiled diaper before starting to instruction, or the child should really want to wear underwear or say they want to be a big kid, something like that. Basically the child should initiate the whole process on their own, but it's so not the case. I mean, a lot of kids with Down syndrome aren't going to tell you that they're ready mm -hmm. or it, it's yeah, really it's more about you being ready. Like as a parent and you're at a place you can, you know, prioritize toileting instruction for a while. You can carve out a couple of days to really launch it. And it's something that your family can really focus on for a while. Then I think it's more time to start. So it's hard. It's really, and it's like intuition is a lot of it, but waiting for the child to be uncomfortable in dirty diapers, you could be waiting a long time. So I would suggest just approaching it when you're ready and you feel like you've got mm -hmm. the chutzpah to go for it basically. Yeah. Like I've always remembered, you said it's, it's when you're, you, the parent are ready to do it. And yeah, you know, and I, I do remember when Ainsley, I think she was just a baby like or maybe two and i'd read about this woman who who said her 10 year old son with down syndrome had zero interest in toileting and mm. i'm thinking i don't want that to be me and yeah. Ainsley. so mm -hmm. that was my biggest motivator 
to get her trained, you know, when I, when I felt we could do it and, and, and stuff, you know, a lot of things had to fall into place, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, you just sometimes just have to do it. And, and like you said, carve out like that bit of time, like, mm-hmm. and, you know, and we'll, we'll get a link, we'll get some links from you and that we can post on the, the, in the show notes so people sure. can figure out where to go. But, you know, also the biggest question also was, how do I find Katie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so nice. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you? And I know you've been helping people all over the world, so you don't have to be in BC, but yeah. uh, how can people find you? That's yes. Thank you. That's so flattering. I'm on Instagram at toileting 101. I'm a bit less active there than I have been. Life has been very full lately but the archive I think is is really helpful there's a lot of posts like I I, honestly I think everything we talked about I had at least a couple posts over the last couple years I've been on Instagram that give lots of detail on um, initiation on poop challenges on how you know if your child's ready like there's a that's if if you're an Instagrammer that's a good place to look there's also a Facebook page that ha- has all the same info if you're more of a Facebook person which is blackbird toileting services which is the name of my company so the best way in general to get in touch with us if you'd like some support is through our website which is blackbirdtoileting.com and yeah we do online consultation to people all over the world we work in homes all over BC we're always trying to find solutions to work within funding constraints that people have and that sort of thing so we really mm-hmm. want to help get the information out there as much as possible for people who need it because yeah google is not great for for if you have a child with down syndrome and you're working on toileting what you get on google is not going to be awesome i mean i think it's great that there's the down syndrome toilet training facebook page you mentioned like that's a nice mm-hmm. place that people i know share resources lots of families have mentioned that to me and spaces like that on the internet are so so valuable. So I would encourage people to seek those out as well, because parents of kids with Down syndrome got to stick together. And we know they do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're listening to the podcast and it's an amazing community. And it's been so cool to be a part of a part of this and, and get to know so many awesome families and, and kids and parents who really want to meet this milestone and can mm-hmm. and do. So yeah, it's an amazing part of my life to be a part of this community. Oh, that's wonderful. And to all those people out there, Ainsley has the dual diagnosis. So, and Katie trained her in five days. It was a little rough for a few weeks after, but she did Mm -hmm. it. You know, it's still a big celebration when, you know, when she goes to the bathroom and it's, oh, we always make it fun. So Mm -hmm. I think that helps for her to go. She can bring her iPad or, you know, whatever she wants there. And, you know, but I think it is achievable. It's an achievable milestone. Don't think you can't achieve it now you also mentioned the what was that little course online course that you have you'll have to send me yeah, the, the poop, the poop I will. course yeah we have a like a toilet training or toilet teaching 101 and a poop teaching 101 online course okay. um, that are like a general approach and a roadmap to follow for if you're seeing those challenges the poop one is for if your child is already peeing the toilet successfully but they're having issues with poop which is what a few people were asking us mm-hmm. about today and yeah I usually though I can recommend if they're going to be a good fit or not so it's often really smart to email me contact me through our website first okay. and then I can say oh you know what I, I don't I wouldn't take that course here's another resource or maybe we should have you know an online meeting first because it sounds like it's more complicated in your child's case that sort of thing so the courses are there as a resource but it, I can help, I can help people figure out if it's the right path or not. Oh, wonderful. That's so awesome. Katie, thank you so much. I, I am so appreciative of your time. I know that you're super busy helping so many families <laughs> out there and, you know, and thanks again for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with our community. Thank you, Mary. It's always so great to talk to you. And I hope you'll invite me back for a sixth time after this. For sure. thank you you're welcome katie is such a wealth of information and knowledge and i really hope that you were able to get some if not all of your toileting questions answered and even after five episodes i still learned something so i think that is really fantastic and 
I am so grateful, Katie, that you are so giving of your time and that you're able to come on the podcast and and share all this info with my listeners. And I know that they're really appreciative as well. So my main takeaways of today's episode, and I'll keep this short because it's already a pretty long episode, is number one, it's not so much if your child is ready to start toilet training, but if you are. It can be tough, especially in those first few days of training, but persevere. You can do this. Number two, that it's actually a myth or a misconception that our kids need to feel uncomfortable in a wet or dirty pull-up or diaper before they can start toilet training. And number three, that... Katie feels so strongly that all kids with special needs, barring that there are no underlying medical issues, can be toilet trained. Even our kids who can't walk or properly support themselves, and regardless of how old they are. So, you know, maybe you have a child who, you know, has some gross motor challenges or is older and you feel like giving up you know, don't, you can always contact Katie, you know, get a one-on-one or something to get some advice on how you can do this because it's such, you know, an amazing skill for them to have. And it just gives so much freedom once they've achieved that milestone. And, you know, I would really love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. And, you know, even if you have any other questions, you can leave me a message on my website at t21mom.com and let me know what you think. So keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and I'll see you next time.